Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you tell us when two or more are gathered in your name, you will be there. And we, we qualified this morning. So for those of us that are here, let our hearts be open and our ears hear the words that, that you're bringing to us, that we may learn more and become closer to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship our Lord. Hey, good morning, everybody. Treasures that last. Lay up for yourselves your treasures in heaven. Some time ago, two old friends were dying. The one was a rich man, the other was a poor man. The rich man was outside of Christ, but the poor man was strong in faith in Jesus. When one day the rich man was talking to another of his friends, when I die, I shall leave my riches. When he dies, he will go to his riches. Thus, in a couple of sentences, the rich man summed up the contrast between them. The man worth everything in reality had nothing. The man worth nothing in reality had everything. These two men were a vivid illustration of what Jesus said to his disciples. Do not lay up your treasures in heaven, or excuse me, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up your treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Does that mean we renounce everything we own? No, not unless God clearly demands us to do so. But it does mean that we commit everything we have, including our lives, to Christ, and to put his will above everything else. And the hope for today we take nothing with us into eternity. Let us spend our time, resources, and energy on laying up for treasures in heaven. We will never regret anything done or given for the cause of Christ.
Oh, 
from Isaiah 55 this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out in peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Stand with me, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Open my heart, illumine me. 
Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Some of this has a little, it can be a little bit sharp too, so just as a warning. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause one of those little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eyes causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes to be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. If you'll join me now in the responsive reading. Dear God, I'll hide your word within my heart to call upon each day. Call me when the trials appear or trouble comes my way. My very life is in your hands. My heart is yours to mold. Each part of me belongs to you, a story to unfold. Forgive me when I fail to love the way that you want me to. Restore in me undying faith and make me more like you. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that the, the gifts that we give today, that, we have, that you have blessed us with, that we return, that they are used to further your kingdom, that others who today may not know you or will come and learn something more about you, Lord, and become part of your family. Lord, we, we give these freely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to rise for the doxology. Praise God from
Let's pray and look into God's Word. Father, we do thank you and praise you. That you are a God of mercy. Uh, you're a God of truth. We ask this morning that your truth, that you will, you will help me to speak with the words of truth. Lord, you've said in your word that the truth sets it free. And we, I, I know in my own life, Lord, um, I don't have any idea of all the things that are, that all the ways that I'm in bondage, both mentally and emotionally and physically and so on, Father, uh, until your Holy Spirit begins to work in me and cleanse those things. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll add another element of freedom in our lives this morning that we may um, wholeheartedly proclaim the goodness of God and your wonder and your mercy, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A number of, number of, um, is this, is, okay, isn't it? Okay. A um, number of months, um, three or four months ago, um, we had a, a astronomer over uh, for dinner and as we talked with her um, and actually we didn't necessarily plan on this but we began to talk about the Lord and, and our faith in Christ and so on and, um, and she stopped and she said you know I can't believe that thinking and intelligent people like yourselves can believe in that stuff of creationism you know that God created the heavens and the earth and I mean, she was, you know, very respectful about it, but she said, I, you know, I, 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 I can't understand why you would think that way. Well, uh, that's what I want to talk about today is uh, this whole, this whole di idea really of the, what, what we would call humanism or um, evolution, the theory of evolution. And the reason I want to do that is that I believe that we have grown up in a secular culture. I think I've asked before, I think every one of you here went to a secular Christian school or a, yeah, yeah okay. Um, all of us come out of the public school system and, and particular, particularly come out of colleges um, and universities where if, if you have any faith left, it's really, uh, it's really amazing coming out of, coming out of education. Um, and there's a chart, the next, next slide. There's a chart here that I want to go over with you. And this is a survey done by the Gallup organization. And, you know, they're, they're believers and do a lot of uh, faith-based surveys and so on. And they ask U.S. adults identified themselves, 40% of U.S. adults believe in creationism, okay? But they began to, and they asked three questions and asked people to identify themselves according to those three questions. The first question is that God, or not question, but the first statement, God created man in his present form. That would be the creationist view. Second is man developed with God guiding, probably some kind of hybrid uh, creationism, evolutionism, uh, humanism. And the third is, man God had no part. That's a purely atheistic uh, view, that you know, there, there is no creator and um, we pretty much do it on our own. Well then, 
they, they um, asked and, and, you know, um, asked and, and did research in terms of who, you know, who were these people. And those who seldom or never go to church, um, 27% that believe that basically in creationism, 36% said that God had no, no part. Those who attend weekly, and this is what we expect, 68% uh, believe in basically in the creationist view. 3% say that uh, God had no part. But when they broke it down, and this is what I really want to emphasize here, in terms of education, those who have no college degree, God created man in his present form, but those who have a college degree, it's 23%. So more than half the number of people, once they graduate from a university, say that, um, you know, move away from a creationist view toward evolutionism. Uh, so man developed, but God had no part, 16% with no college degree, college degree, 33%. So we find that almost uh, half, half the number of people believe God created man in its present form, and twice as number of people say God developed, God had no part. So very interesting, isn't it? And that, this is what I find. I, I found it in my own life. I went to college, and, and by the time I graduated from college, I, was, um, I called myself an agnostic. I wouldn't go as far to say I was an atheist, but I said I was an agnostic. Because even though I'd gone to uh, Sunday school and, and grew up through, uh, through uh, junior high school, I went, but it was an Episcopal uh, church, and uh, really the truth was not preached. You know, kind of, kind of, but more kind of a watered-down was preached there. And so here's my point. We don't realize the depth to which that has affected our thinking. Um, and so we have, many of us, and they've shown other statistics and surveys and so on, have shown how, um, uh, how much even Christians have been affected, and we, have, we call ourselves Christians, and, and, uh, but we are, in many ways, we still have a, an evolutionist worldview or a humanist worldview. So we don't realize, as I said, the depth to which our thinking is affected. And let me just give you one illustration of that. Um, part of humanism is that, and part of evolutionism, is that man is getting better. Okay? That, that you know, we were, the, you've, if you go all the way back to the cave days, um, man was just very primitive, and then man has evolved into uh, what we have now. I'm not sure it's an evolution, but I'm not sure it's not a devolution, but anyway, um, but and that pretty much permeates our thing. How many times do you hear, and you know, different coming, especially in the media, that we are just getting better, and everything's going to get better, and we're going to, you know, the 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 world's going to get better, and eventually we're going to have one world government, and in, in every, you know, there's going to be a wonderful climax because man is getting better. Well, <laughs> creationist view says, uh, -uh. you know, we started out. You know, I, you know, 
I'm, I'm just guessing. I believe that Adam and Eve were probably the most intelligent people that ever lived. Um, they, you know, incredibly intelligent. And, and then the intelligence rises with godliness and then, de- and then devolves with ungodliness when we depart from God. This is what the book of is all about, is that, you know, if we depart from God, our lifestyle is going to reflect that. So man is not getting better unless he comes to faith in Christ and unless he begins to replace some of those distorted thoughts with godly thinking. Uh, Here's a quote. During recent decades, new scientific evidence from many scientific disciplines, such as cosmology, physics, biology, artificial intelligence research, and others have caused scientists to begin questioning Darwin's central tenet of natural selection and the evidence supporting it in detail. In other words, um, there, are, there are increasing number of scientists, talked a bit about, about this last week, who are coming to faith in Christ in realizing that the creationist view actually is, uh, is better scientifically. And that's what I want to talk to you about um, and so on. So yet public TV programs, educational policy statements, and science textbooks have asserted that Darwin's theory of evolution fully explains the complexity of living things. The public has been assured that all known evidence supports Darwinism and that virtually every scientist in the world believes this to be true. Isn't that? I mean, you know, you pretty much talk to people who have been educated in the, in the university system and they're going to say that Darwinism, you know, evolutionism, if you're an intelligent thinking being, as I've mentioned before in the illustration, that if you're an intelligent thinking being, you're going to believe Darwinism. It's actually exactly the opposite from that. We'll see some of that. So, what then is Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, <coughs> excuse me, was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God created the universe ex nihilo out of pre-existing material. That's our view. He spoke all things into existence. And that's what we believe. God spoke, and it came into existence. God was pre-existent. God always existed. And he spoke into the creation and started and formed and created everything that everything that is came from the one who is. I like that statement. Everything that is came from the one who is. That's where it comes from. John Lennox at a Veritas Forum at Harvard University 2012. He said this, the more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator God who destined the universe for a purpose gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. Chuck Missler said, the information sciences have obliterated the very foundations of evolutionary thought. So what I, what I want to talk to you about today is some of the scientific proof for creationism because we have been, I believe, indoctrinated that, that science always points toward 
toward uh, evolutionism and, or naturalism. And that if we believe in God, and if we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, then we just aren't thinking people. So let's dig into some of it. Now, are there questions to answer about the creationist view? Of course there are. You know, we can't answer everything, and, and we're going to stumble, and we don't know, we don't have all the answers. Yes, but both science and sense lead more and more to the creationist view. All right, so let's talk about it. Now, to start with, I am not a scientist. <coughs> so, I'm, you know, I'm in, I, I'm kind of in somebody else's territory here. In fact, I had very little science when I was uh, in all my education. Very little science. It was in, uh, it was in other areas. So I'm very educated, but just not in science. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I'm quoting other people, and, uh, but I do read science. And, and I'm going to quote from those who do have an education in science. Um, Grudem said this, Non-living gave rise to the first living material which subsequently reproduced and diversified to produce all extinct and extant organisms. And he says, the theory of evolution states that the changes in characteristic of a species take place over many generations and it relies on natural selection to drive the process. That is the theory of evolution. Let me read it again. The theory of evolution states that the changes in characteristics of a species, all right, so you take a species and there was, evolution says that there was a, a one-celled organism and somehow life came out of non-life and, and, and then those species then developed into other species. But all of it came down and boils down to um, one, usually one-celled animal or protoplasm or whatever it is. And that, that's what the natural process of natural selection is, is that over time then species de develop or evolve into other species. But don't confuse microevolutionism, which is changes within species, okay? And that's what when Darwin went down to the Galapagos Islands and he studied the beaks of the finch. Remember that whole thing? And, and then he wrote from that, he wrote The Origin of the Species. And what it was talking about and what he studied was that the finch, based upon the environment and the conditions, whether it was a, you know, a, a year of drought or whether it was an abundant year, the size of the beak would change on the finch. Okay? And we as Christians say, yeah, that's, you know, sure, that takes place all the time. Uh, animals adapt to their circumstances. But, but what he did was extrapolate from that in what we call macroevolutionism. All living creatures have a common ancestor, and natural selection brought forth the development of every one of the countless organisms we see in the modern world, all from a single life form. Okay, that's what evolutionism is. The idea of evolution by natural selection was proposed by Charles Darwin in 1859, okay, after he had returned from the Galapagos Islands. But evolutionary bi biology, as an academic discipline in its own right, emerged during the period of the modern synthesis, 1930s and 1940s. So uh, in about the 1930s, 1940s then, Evolutionism began to be the, you know, what is taught in the universities. 
Finally, in the 1980s, many universities had departments of evolutionary biology. And so biology increasingly became evolutionary biology. Dr. Robert Laughlin, who teaches physics at Stanford, said, much of present biological knowledge is ideological. Scientists, he says, stop thinking. All right? So in other words, um, what, what we call evolutionary biology is actually ideology. It's not science. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't good scientists and so on, but, but generally it's coming out of ideology. So what are some of the specific problems scientifically with the theory of evolution? Now, there are lots of, there are lots of reasons um, spiritually why we can say creationism is, is the better system. But what I'd like to do is to talk about scientifically. Because the word says that we are to have a reason for the hope within us. And if we're going to answer those who have an evolutionary point, you know, worldview, we've got to have some, some little bit of nothing about what we're talking about. So the first thing that is for evolutionists with is the origin of life. Um, the chief problem with a naturalistic explanation for the beginning of the universe is that it's somewhere, somehow, energy or matter had to spring from and evolve from that which was not. Okay? That's the, that's the basic problem. And all of science and all that there has attempts that there have been to create life out of not worked. Why? Well, because God God is the author of life. God is the only one who brings life. So, yes, that which is came out of that which was, you know, which was not, you know, energy and matter. But God, God is, and God spoke it all into existence. Genesis 1.21, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with, the, with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 30, and to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. So God spoke all these things into existence. Genesis 2.7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed through his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay, so that's the position, is that life comes from the creator himself. Francis Crick, a Nobel Prize winner, he said this. He said, every time I write a paper on the origin of life, I swear I will never write another one because there's too much speculation running after too few facts. Evolutionist, he's a naturalist. He doesn't believe, in, believe that God did it. And he says this, the origin of life appears to be almost a miracle. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> yeah. So many are the conditions which have to be satisfied. To... The first problem that, you know, that naturalists uh, deal with is Okay, if, you know, 
we came out of primordial soup, how did it all start in the first place? What had, you know, something had to have happened. And so there's all kinds of theories, you know, aliens brought it from space or there was light flash or, you know, all kinds of different ideas, but you have to go away from science into ideology and really into mythology in order to come up with an answer. Second area of difficulty is advances in genetics and molecular research. <coughs> Genome is a fancy word for all your DNA, from potatoes to puppies. All living organisms have their own genome. So the basic building block of life. Each genome contains the information needed to build and maintain that organism, that organism throughout its life. Your genome contains about six billion individual building blocks. Okay, so the second problem that evolutionists have is the, you know, when, when uh, Darwin wrote his Origin of the Species back in 1859, there was very little, you know, there, there were not microscopes, and so there was very little known about the molecule. So, since then, there has been all kinds of research on the molecule and the basic building blocks of life. And so, and a whole lot of work done on DNA. And all the, the DNA is the life, you know, is, is, the, is that which brings life, and it's made of four chemical bases strung together in varying orders. And this is from the National Human Genome Research Institute. And it, they say this, we now know that the molecule is extremely complex. The molecule has to have been designed by an intelligent being who had incredible knowledge. DNA is so complex that an intelligent being had to have designed it. Either life arose as a result of purely undirected material processes or a guiding intelligence played a role. Okay, so, and this is the whole area that, um, this whole area of science, science um, which is, um, huh? Yeah, Stephen Meyer and, and, and those uh, from the Institute, not for Institute for Creation, but uh, Intelligent Design. That's, that's what I was thinking of. Intelligent Design. That there had to have been, okay, and this is just based on science itself, there had to have been an intelligent designer. It couldn't just come out of nowhere. It's impossible. The neo-Darwin mechanism does not provide an adequate explanation for the origin of the genetic information necessary to produce the major innovations in biological form that have arisen during the history of life on Earth. Building a living cell in the first place requires assembly instructions stored in DNA or some equivalent molecule. Okay, so, the, you know, the third problem that we have if we take God out of the picture is how does DNA come about? It is so complex, and e even at the molecular uh, level, there is so much complexity that it had to have come from an intelligent designer. It's impossible that it could evolve over many, many uh, generations or billions of years. Third thing is what we call irreducible complexity. If you take any component out of a molecule, it ceases to function. This is Michael Behe's 
uh, theory. Have any of you read? Yeah, okay. Um, and what he says is that the cell had to have been produced complete and functional all at once. In other words, just like, and he compared it to a mousetrap. Do I have the? Okay, okay. Compared it to a mousetrap, and if you take any component out of that mousetrap, uh, you take this you know, thing uh, that flaps over, or the spring, or the base, or whatever it is, you take any component out of that, it ceases to be a mousetrap. And then he compared that then to the molecule, and if you take any component out of the molecule, it ceases to exist. So the point is, how could you know, DNA come, come to be if it all had to be there instantaneously and all at once? It, 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 you know, it's impossible that uh, one little component at a time, you've got six billion little pieces of information in there that all had to be there for just the basic forms of life to begin. Intelligent design, he says, is apply these scientific methods to detect design in irreducible, complex biological structures. So if we look at the big picture of the universe and what it is and so on, we see the hand of God. If we look at the smallest of, of, uh, <coughs> of molecules, the very smallest bits of information, they are incredibly complex as well. So the big picture and the small picture could not have been designed except by an intelligent being, and of course, God. Next thing is evidence of design in the order. Over 1,000 PhD scientists have signed the following statement, and this is from the website descentfromdarwin.org. I've got it up there, I think. And it's and they saw a statement uh, affirming this and agreeing with it and signing their name to it. We are skeptical of claims for the random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Careful examination of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged. Okay? So what they're saying is evolution does not cut it. And so we need more research um, about um, naturalism and so on, and, and evolutionism. And then they say, intelligent activity is the only possible causal presence of functional or specified information in even the smallest living systems point decisively to the past existence and activity of a designing being, or in designing intelligence. So, so what they're saying is that, that life itself is so fine-tuned that we have to believe that there is an intelligent designer. Um, and that the earth is incredibly fine-tuned to support life. The more science, and, and this is Eric Metaxas, um, uh, who wrote a book called Miracles, and he says this, the more science uncovers about the conditions necessary for life to exist, and the conditions for the universe to exist, the more science points to a creator. He says, as of now, 15 years from the, into the 21st century, he says, we know of so many conditions that are absolutely necessary for a planet to support life, 
that not only is it extremely improbable that any other planet can support life, it's extremely improbable that our planet should support life. And so uh, they, you know, scientists have gone into the, uh, when you look at the universe and you look at Earth, and, you know, and we talked about the microcosm, but when we look at the big picture as well, and there's four that Metaxas talks about, there's a whole bunch more, but we're just going to a few of them here. Number one, the Earth is exactly the right size. If Earth were a little bit bigger, methane and ammonia gas would remain close to the surface. If Earth were a little bit smaller, water vapor would dissipate into the atmosphere. So in other words, the Earth is exactly the right size to support life. Secondly, water has exactly the right characteristics to support life. And there's all kinds of, you know, um, different stuff about water that it is exactly suited for life. Third thing, if the earth rotated slightly slower, the temperature between night and day would be so extreme that life couldn't exist. If the earth, if the earth rotated faster, there would be impossibly high winds. Next, the moon is exactly the right size. And, and a lot of research has shown that the moon is actually very important to life on Earth. We have only one moon, whereas other planets have, either have no moon or multiple moons. But we have a moon that is exactly right for planet Earth. The next thing is the existence of our universe. When the universe was created, what scientists have called the Big Bang Theory, okay, that's, you know, if, you, if you're, uh, you know, looking at intelligent design, then that had to have come, the universe had to have come from somewhere. And so what a lot of scientists have come to is what we call the Big Bang Theory. That it happened, boom, it happened all at once, and of course we say, yeah, it did. <laughs> it did, God did it, all at once. But they say it was, they say it was explosion so precisely controlled that we cannot imagine it. And that it exploded, it just exploded absolutely perfect and even you know, very, very slight deviation in all kinds of different, uh, different properties, it would not have supported it. Know that if the speed of this universe created an explosion had ever been so slightly different, the universe would not exist. So, you know, that Big Bang, God created in the beginning, was absolutely perfect to create the universe that we have. In fact, the speed at which the cosmos expanded out of that microdot in question was so outrageously perfectly calibrated that physicists say that it constitutes the most extreme fine-tuning yet discovered in physics. Isn't that incredible? So reason and science, Metaxas says, see what previous generations could not, that our existence is an outrageous and astonishing miracle. One so startlingly and perhaps so disturbingly miraculous that it makes any miracle like the party of the Red Sea, sea pale in such significance that it almost becomes unworthy of our consideration. <coughs> in other words, you know, we talk about these miracles, you know, Jesus performed miracles, yeah, that's incredible. 
And we believe that Jesus performed those miracles, that, that Moses parted the Red Sea, you know. And, but that's just, that's small stuff compared to the creation of the universe in an absolutely fine-tuned uh, fashion God did. The universe is incredibly fine-tuned. There are four forces scientists talk about that are necessary, physicists talk about that. Gravity, the electromagnetic force, the weak nuclear force holding the atoms and the molecules together, and the strong nuclear force that holds the nucleus, the pro protons and neutrons of an atom together. So, if the ratio of the electromagnetic, this is just two of these factors, <coughs> electromagnetic force to the gravitational force had been different by one part in 10 to the 39th power. That's 10 with 39 zeros after it. It would not be possible to support life. That's just one of them, okay? And you've got four of those all interacting with each other, and they're absolutely fine-tuned to create the universe and life on planet Earth. He says that's a chance that man would hit a coin at a distance of 20 billion light years away, or imagine covering, covering the Earth with coins to the depth of the height of the moon, 238,000 miles away, and then picking out one coin from all those coins. So you stack coins up all the way, all the way to the moon, 238,000 miles, and then you pick out one. That's the chances of, you know, and, and that's just, you know, mathematicians kind of playing with the, playing with the information. But what it's saying is, it is absolutely an impossible that life could evolve. That this universe could just, you know, somewhere, somehow come into being from one-celled organism. It is utterly impossible that the universe was created by chance, but was created by a loving God through Jesus Christ. <coughs> and then we look at the wonders of the human body. On how many, how many beats you have per minute, your heart beats about 100,000 times a day. <coughs> that means it sends 2,000 gallons of blood through your body. Though people have small blood vessels, the network is amazing long. If your blood vessels were laid out, they would measure more than 60,000 miles. And your body, your blood vessels, are 60,000 miles long. Don't do it because it's good to keep the vessels in your body. Don't try this, you know. Don't do this at home. But, but, but 60,000 miles. The average human adult has 2,000 to 4,000 taste buds. They aren't located only on your tongue. And they, these tiny sense organs give us the ability to taste and are located at the back of your throat, your nose, your esophagus. <coughs> the sense of smell is a very important component of tasting. The tiny retina of the eye has 130 million receptor cells. 124 million are rod-shaped, and they enable us to differentiate light and darkness. Six million are cone-shaped, and we can dif differentiate eight million variations of color. Isn't that incredible? You can, you can detect <coughs> eight million variations of color. You, me. All of us. 
Could that have been done by random purposeless process? Could that have evolved over billions of years? Don't think so. Your body has more than 600 muscle, muscles. Your strongest muscle is in the jaw. It's known as the masseter muscle. Is that right? Pronunciation for that? Any nurses in here? Your skin has a thousand different species of bacteria on it. <coughs> and that's why the outer layer of your skin continually renews itself. The entire process of skin cell renewal takes 28 days. 28 days, your whole <coughs> your skin is totally renewed. Smallest bone is, is uh, in your ear. You have between two and five million sweat glands, and the more active you are, the more you sweat. Now, isn't that incredible? So you look at all that together, and you say, just the human, you just look at the human body, and, and you say, and that evolved over, you know, many billions of years? I don't think so. And then this one really is a kicker. It's called the law of entropy. And basically what the law of entropy says is that everything goes downhill, not uphill. Um, I, you know, one example of this is my drip system at my house. <laughs> and I have, to, I have to be constantly doing maintenance on my drip system. And if I go away my, on vacation, and come back, I don't expect my drip system to itself. <laughs> because it takes, it takes an intelligent being to put it back together. Sometimes that's me, sometimes other people. But it doesn't, things always go downhill. So, uh, there's, yeah. So, order always goes toward disorder. Signal always goes to noise. Music to cacophony. Cosmos the chaos, and design goes to randomness. Now, the whole theory of evolution is based upon the fact that everything goes from left to right. Disorder becomes order. That over, over natural selection, those things which are you know, non-productive drop off and, be, and become better. We become better as time goes on. Well, that is absolutely flies in the face of the law of entropy. The shift is always from right to left. As it says in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Tohu wabohu in the, in the Hebrew. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what happened is, <coughs> in the creation, disorder and chaos became order. That's what God did. So everything in the law of entropy moves from information to entropy. It takes energy and information, sort it all out, and move from disorder to order, noise to signal, and so on. You have to have a logical pattern. It's conscious, intelligent information to sort out disorder, doesn't it? I mean, you go home, as I say, go home after vacation, and it's going to take energy and intelligence to put your house back in order. Everything that's hold, hot goes cold, that which is cold becomes warmer. All energy, the function of temperature, different. someone had to act. The source of energy had to have been outside of the created order, and that's exactly what we've, we've said. 
is that God spoke outside of time, outside of the created order, into the created order, and brought order from chaos. The fossil record. Evolution, <coughs> Darwin said in his Origin of the Species, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely be down. Okay? So Darwin said it. Here's my theory of evolutionism, but if it could be dem demonstrated that it didn't come about by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would, would fall apart. Well, David Kitts in the School of Geology and Geophysics at the University of Oklahoma said this, evolution requires intermediate forms. So what, the, what evolutionism is dependent upon is then produces a hybrid species, which then produces another hybrid species. And so, simpler life, more complex life. And that the stronger organisms survive, and the weak and weaker ones die out and are eliminated over time. That's what it's based upon. Well, the problem is that the intermediate species have not been found. Darwin hypothesized that over time would be verified through the finding of intermediate species, one species evolving into another species. The problem is, after from 1859 until today, <coughs> that hasn't happened. David Raup, um, paleontologist at the University of Chicago, said this, we are now about 150 years after Darwin. And the knowledge of the fossil record has been greatly expanded. We now have a quarter of a million fossil species, 250,000 of them. But the situation hasn't changed much. We have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. So, yeah, we're going to discover, you know, Darwin said, time, my theory is going to be verified. Well, it hasn't been. It's gone the other direction. Stephen J. We quoted last week of Harvard, he said this, <clears throat> the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. <laughs> I like that. It's the trade secret. The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbook have data only at the tips and the nodes of their, of their branches. <clears throat> you know, you've seen those trees and there's, you know, all these species. The rest is inference however reasonable, not the evidence of fossils. <coughs> Darwin's argument that the geological record, record excuse me, is extremely imperfect, still persists as the favored escape of most paleontologists <coughs> from the embarrassment of a record that seems to show so little little evidence of evolution. <coughs> Furthermore, there's the Cambrian explosion in the fossil record. And what that is, is there in the Cambrian period, you have, you have very few uh, fossil, you know, um, <coughs> fossil forms are found, and 
all of a sudden there's an explosion in the fossil record. Well, that's exactly what we would find in, the, in creationism, is it not? There's an explosion. God brought it all into being, all at once. <clears throat> Next, is that chance is not a force. This is really important. I, um, this comes from Chuck Missler. He said this. He says, chance cannot create anything. Chance is an explanation. It's a mathematical probability. But chance doesn't create things. And, and the theory of evolution says that, well, by chance, this, this happened and this happened and this happened and, and evolved and so on. <coughs> chance is not a force. <coughs> when we say that the universe came about by chance, we are saying that it caused itself. Let me say that again. When we say that the universe came about by chance, we're saying it caused itself, or we just become of its own. <clears throat> and the last thing is that there are huge problems with a mere physical universe. And we as, as uh, we as Christians, we say, you cannot explain thought and purpose and complex thoughts and love, eternity in the hearts of men, the desire for truth, the yearning for God, the existence of a conscience, the existence of consciousness itself, to those who say that the world is merely physical. So, you know, we look at it and we say, it is not simply physical. It's not that, you know, that matter just happened and energy just happened. There's something bigger and deeper in the hearts of man. We're spiritual beings created for a relationship with himself. How do merely physical and mechanical forces, forces without mind, without consciousness, give rise to the world of purposes, thoughts, and moral projects? <clears throat> How can a universe of mindless matter produce beings with intrinsic end and self-replication capabilities. You know, why is it that, 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 that there's something that's greater in man than simple physical existence? Well, in conclusion, the concept that God created the heavens and the earth is still the best explanation for the existence of all things. Now this was pretty much the theory, I mean, <coughs> until the last couple couple of hundred years, everybody was a deist. They believed that God created it. And then, uh, you know, stuff we don't need to go into history, and we began to depart from the idea God simply created the heavens and the earth. And we believe that the Bible is the word of the Lord. It's the truth. Therefore, we would expect any theory which begins with the assumption that God did not exist will eventually be proved wrong. Isn't that right? I mean, so we say, well, okay. <clears throat> so it's being proved wrong scientifically. Well, we knew that would happen over time because any theory that contradicts the word of the Lord will eventually fall. Everything. Everything is going to fall at the feet of Jesus. We saw, for example, the sexual revolution. I remember back in the 60s, <clears throat> the, the idea was that the, you know, we're, we're entering this uh, uh, 
uh, age of Aquarius and you know sexual freedom and all this kind of stuff, and it's going to set everybody free. Well, here we are, a number of years later, and what we're seeing is a whole bunch of people in bondage. That's exactly what God said would happen. Second Corinthians ten, five. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. <clears throat> On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God created the heavens and the earth. God created us. He created us for a reason. He, he loves us. He created this universe out of love for us. And so we demolish any argument that comes along and says that's based on an assumption that there is no God. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So I thank God that we have a loving God who created the universe, placed us on... It's, you know, it is absolutely astounding that God created the universe, spoke it all into existence, and it was so fine-tuned and so perfectly adapted for life. And then he put us on planet Earth. Why did he do that? He did it because he loves us. He loves us and he has a plan. I, you know, we don't know the whole plan and so on, but we know, you know, we know enough of it in the Bible. <clears throat> but we demolish with pretension that comes along and says, there is no God and God did not create the universe. And the biggest problem with evolutionism is it teaches that you can live without the author of life. And we cannot, will not live without the author of life. So let's be praying for those who say that uh, um, we can't believe in God. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, and I'm, unfortunately, it's increasing. More people are turning away and, um, and turning away from a knowledge of God, turning away from Christianity, turning away from the Judeo-Christian worldview. We need to be in prayer for them, that God will open their eyes. And we need to be convinced, I believe, as Christians, that we serve the living God, and that the living God created the living earth. God bless you. If you'd like to stand, sing with us just a closer walk with thee.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us your word so that we know without doubt how things came into being. That your organization, your thoughts, that these these theories by people who want to be recognized and think that they understand can be shown to be uh, to have more holes in it than a sieve. That the only thing that makes sense is that there is a supreme ultimate being that caused all the caused the world to happen, caused the universe to occur, and that you put it in the order that you did to make it right for a reason, and that we can all know that we should still love you and always, always trust in you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.